somebody has said about American Christianity, a cynic, I suppose, that if American Christianity is 3,000 miles wide, it's only an inch deep. Now, I'm not saying that's true of you, but I am saying it's true of far too many that say they're believers. We're going to be looking at a passage today from Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9, just six verses, short passage. And, and what, what I want you to see is, again, are you, aren't we just incredibly blessed by the worship team that lead, leads us and prays to God? I, I just, I don't know. It, it's always good. Some weeks it's really good. This week it was really good. You know, and it, sometimes it's almost hard to get up and speak afterwards because I'm thinking, like, forget the preaching. Let's just keep singing. But we're going to preach. Okay. Um, and it, it is possible, though, to come and have a wonderful experience on Sunday, but then to compartmentalize that, isn't it? And then just kind of live life. And as we're living life, we, we insert God periodically through that week. One of the things you find when you come to Philippians chapter 4 is that's backwards. It, it, it's not about Doug Finkbeiner living life through the week and inserting God. It's about living life where God is central throughout that week and all my decisions and everything I face gets fit into that. One of the things you'll find about this passage is there's nothing outside of a life that's centered around God. You say, I, I got problems in my life, physical problems, relational problems. I, you, you don't know my family situation. I, I may not. You don't know what I'm going through at work. I, I may not. You don't know what I go through relationally, even with people here in this church. I, I may not. But hear the text of Scripture today. And what you will find is this God-centeredness so, is so to permeate the life of a believer that it impacts all the problems I face, all the relationships, all my decisions, how I live. It impacts everything. What we sang today in praise to God, God intends that we live out in our life through the week. I'm going to pray. Again, I know I just prayed for Kim. Would you do me a favor? Will you ask God to open up your heart to whatever he wants to put his finger on today? Would you do that? And then let's see what God has for us. And then I'll close. I'm just going to wait about 30 seconds. I'm going to ask you just to quietly pray for God to speak to you. And then I'll close in prayer. Father, we are a needy people. It is so easy for us to get caught up in allurements in this world around us. Lord, just to get caught up in the concerns of life. 
It's not like we walk away from you. It's just, it's just that you're not central. Forgive us of this, Lord. And the heart of every true believer is this desire to live life for your glory in every way. We pray that your spirit would put his finger on those areas of our life where that needs to be a greater reality. And do your good work for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 verses 2 to 9. Um, if you kind of read it by itself, these six verses, you're not always quite sure how to actually group the verses together because Paul's almost coming at us like in staccato fashion. He's going like, bam, 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 bam. But, but I think when it's all said and done, you can kind of group verses 2 to 5 and 6 to 9 together. So that's what we're going to do. And this is what you're going to find. In those first four verses, the word that dominates is the word Lord, speaking of Jesus Christ. And, and what Paul is going to say is, after he's said so much in this book, he's getting to the end, and, and do you ever find yourself as a parent sometimes, you want to say a million things to your kids at one time? And, you're, and sometimes you almost sound ADD-ish, because you're going like, da, 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 da. Paul's not quite that way, I'm not saying that, but, but he's like, all of a sudden he's going like, bam, 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 right at us. And what he says in verses 2, 3, 4, and 5 is, I want you to be fully preoccupied with Jesus. And, and, and when you are, that will impact both your relationships within the church and your relationships with people outside the church. The key verse is verse 4. It's a familiar verse. But notice, there's no wiggle room. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And, and just in case you didn't quite get it, <laughs> look what Paul does. Again, I say, rejoice. Easy? Easy to do? Easy to do when you go outside and there's a flat tire? When you get home and somebody says something that's not so kind. Paul is saying in this passage, I want you to be so enamored with Jesus that whatever comes your way, whatever you face, Jesus is such a reality in your life that you can rejoice in him no matter what comes at you. All through the book of Philippians, God has poured into our heart the wonder of Jesus, hasn't he? He, he in his pre-incarnation, he is the glorious God. In his incarnation, when Jesus became a man, he comes, he lives a perfect life, he dies the death that I should have de died. He dies for the sins of the world. So when you and I bow our knees and we say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, he sweeps us into his kingdom in a moment, doesn't he? I mean, if you don't know Christ, that's where it begins. This is written to people who do know Jesus. 
And then he's exalted on high as the glorious Lord who is coming back. And, and Paul says in this passage, I want you to make much of Jesus. I mean, I want you to focus on him wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Something comes and hits you, you think and say to yourself, but I've experienced his grace. But he loves me. But he's coming back. Do, do you see what I mean? J Jesus is our preoccupation. And when he is, it will impact all of our relationships. I don't know exactly what's going on here in verse 2 and 3, to be honest with you. I don't know. All I know is there's two great women who have something under their skin that's creating problems. Listen to what he says. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. I indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Do, do you hear what's happening here? And I would love to know more details. And, you know, scholars who write on Philippians, they make all kinds of guesses. We don't know all the details. We just don't know. What I know is this. There are two women in this church that when Paul was in Philippi, they struggled with him for the cause of the gospel. These are good, godly women that I don't know what kind of persecution they faced. I don't know what came upon them, but it was not easy. These are women who have been with Paul. Paul says, they were with me with my other co-workers, and man, as we were preaching and people were coming to faith in Christ and persecution, man, they stayed at it. These are good women. But something has happened. I've been around the church, not this church, I'm using the word church generically, been around the church for a long time. Been in different churches. And one of the things I've noticed sometimes is you can have people who have faithfully served God for years that get something under their crawl. Something annoys them. Another person in the church doesn't quite see it like them. It's unresolved. They've tried to talk it through. It should be blue. No, it should be red. Whatever. You know, it, it's just something that's under their crawl. And rather than Christ and his gospel being central, they don't mean it. But something else slips into that center role. And they can't see anything but through that event or that problem. Can, can that happen? I mean, in all of our lives, haven't we had those times where we have to come back and say, Lord, why am I making this such a big deal? There's more important things. And these are good women, Paul says. And Paul says, look, it's creating enough of attention that the whole church knows about it. So he says publicly, ladies, I urge you to think the same thing. And when he says think the same thing in Philippians, he means I want you guys to be all about the gospel at the very center of what you do. Is it okay for you and I to disagree about things? Absolutely. I mean, there are things we're going to just disagree on. We may disagree on politics. We may disagree on sports teams. 
we may disagree in the church. You know, why don't we do it this way rather than this way? They're judgment calls and a whole host of things. What we can never disagree on is the gospel. I mean, that, that always has to be there. And for whatever reason, these women who believe the gospel, believe Christ has died for them, they, they trusted Christ, they love Christ. Something has gotten in there. And it's such a problem that Paul says, ladies, you've struggled with me in the gospel. Don't do this. I urge you to think the same thing. You're never going to agree on whatever you're disagreeing on. But there's something you do agree on, it's the gospel. And let that shape everything you, you do. One of the things we sometimes say in, in, in marital counseling is sometimes couples have to agree to disagree. Isn't that true? There's a couple issues in my wife and I. My, I, my wife is wonderful, a lover, all that kind of good stuff. But there's some things we agree to disagree about. I mean, we've tried to talk that thing through and I say, I get your point, but, and she'll say, I get your point, but, and, you know, we've been at it 30 years. <laughs> but there's certain things that we just say, that's not important, more important than our relationship, though. We are not going to let that hurt our relationship. We're going to agree to disagree. And Paul is saying, ladies, you can agree to disagree, but you've got to keep what's core, core, which is the gospel. Don't lose that. Think the same way. Now, in verse 3, I don't know who he's talking to here either. Nobody knows. Maybe Timothy, because Timothy's already gotten there. Maybe Luke, who's there. I don't know. But there's some guy who he calls true comrade, whoever that is. doesn't matter. But here's what's interesting to me. Paul is so concerned about this, these women that he tells them first, you ladies, work it out. Keep central what's central. He then talks to somebody else, and he says, look, True comrade. It sounds almost like a Russian statement, doesn't it? But, but anyway, but he talks to, the, he talks to this, this other comrade, this guy that's one soul with him, and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to assist them. These are good women. They, they have worked with other co-workers. I want you to assist them. And the word assist is a very strong word, actually, in the Greek. And what it means is, I look out at the congregation, and let me just use an illustration. Sherry and Ruth Huff are at odds with each other. Now, could you imagine that one? Okay, well, so you know, but we'll just make this thing fictitious, okay? But what, what it means is, so here you have Sherry and you have Ruth, and they're not, they're, but, but we'll just use them as an illustration. And what this text is saying is Paul is saying, if you're somebody else in the church and you see this not only should they work it through but you should enter into their experience into their life and you should say how can i make an investment to assist you to keep the gospel central what would happen if we as the chapel lived this way If I look back and I say, ah, there's Carmelo back there. Ah, he does a good job up here, but he bugs me because he blind, whatever. Then I go to him. And I say, Carmelo, I shouldn't be feeling this way, but this is how I feel. And we talk that through, and we keep the gospel central. But then if I see Sherry and Ruth struggling, 
God calls me to enter in and say, how can I help? What if we did that for one another in the chapel? We talk to each other. And then if we see a problem there, we, we say we love you so much, the gospel is so important, how can we help? Folks, that's a marvelous place to be. That's what God wants for us. Paul says, when we are people that are lost in Jesus, we rejoice in Him. It's all about Him. That impacts everything. Our relationships in the church. Our relationships outside of the church. Look at verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The Philippians are living in a situation in which they're following, feeling a lot of oppression and persecution and tension and anger and hatred because they're believers. What's your gut response when somebody is mean to you? You know what my gut response is? I'm either going to give it back or I'm going to have nothing to do with them. I'm just telling you. You want me to, you think binder shifts into neutral? That's what he does. Paul says, when you are preoccupied with Jesus, not only will it impact how you treat one another in the church, but because you believe that this blessed Lord who you love could come at any moment, and when he comes, he will deliver his people and he will bring justice for his people and he will judge as he sees fit. All of that will occur. You know what that does? That frees me up to move into those relationships with grace and gentleness and tenderness because these are not merely people opposing me. These are people who I sh should pity because the Lord who loves me will not allow them to persist in that when he comes, will he? They're, they're in a heap of trouble. So I need to move back toward them in the spirit of patience, willingness to reconcile, and gentleness, because I so want them to come to faith in Christ. Do you see how Jesus changes everything? When he is central... It changes what we do in the church. It changes how we treat people outside of the church. Before I move on, do any names pop up when I say this? Anybody in the church? Yeah. Or you say, boy, I see tension between them. I wonder how I can help. Any, anything pop up? Anything pop up when we talk about people outside of the church who are frankly a pain in the neck? But God puts their name down and says, will you let me do your, my work in your life in your relationship with them? Do you see? When our lives are centered around God, when we're preoccupied with the wonder of Christ, it changes our relationships in and outside of the church. Secondly, 
Look at verses 6 through 9. When we are preoccupied with God, it changes how we respond to the difficulties and challenges of life. One of the things you find when you read verses 6 to 9 is the word that is repeated in conjunction with God is the word peace. When you think of turmoil in your life, when you think of problems in your life, isn't peace the last word you think of? I mean, I think of war, fight. And twice in this passage, both promises, both in verse 7 and in verse 9, in verse 7 we read about the peace of God, in verse 9 we read about the God of peace. Doesn't want you to miss that connection. God says, I want you to be so preoccupied with me, God. This God who is characterized by peace. Would you be preoccupied by, by me? And if you are, it will impact the problems, the challenges that you find in life around you. Verse 6 and 7. Listen to what he says. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, Paul, you just don't give me any wiggle room. Why can't you say, like, be anxious for 95% of issues? <laughs> Ugh, just like nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Okay, like a little bit? No. Okay, all right, got it. So, if you ask me, Doug, do you worry? I say, no, but I have a lot of concerns. <laughs> That's what I tell you. And it is interesting, the word translated th that we use for worry, uh, anxieties here, and the word that is used for concerns, legitimate concerns, it's the same Greek word in the New Testament. So there is a place to have concerns. Bible, but Paul will say, I have the concerns of, of, of all the churches in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I have these concerns. And that's not like wrong. That's like appropriate. You have concerns with your children, don't you? With your mates, with work, concern's fine. And I don't always know where concern drifts into worry I, uh, and anxiety. I get that. I get that. But it, it, it very quickly can. And Paul is saying, I know you have concerns. But what I don't want you to do is take that thing, let that thing drift you over where you are now consumed with that. You're no longer focused on what you should be focused on. You're not productive for the kingdom. You've slipped from one to the other. So be anxious for nothing. Okay, so what do I do with my concern? Paul says, I'll tell you. In everything. I love that. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Folks, brothers and sisters, the terms he uses for prayer in this passage or powerful terms of saying, of pouring your heart out to God. So it doesn't mean you just kind of say, hey God, help me with that, that work issue. Amen. That's not the kind of prayer he's talking about. He's talking about getting down before God and saying, Lord, I don't know how to work this out. 
I don't know what to say to that person. I can't figure it out. I don't know what to do. And you just request, you pray, you supplicate, you, you spell it out in detail to God. Do you see? You take the concern, and as we're coming into this series on the Psalms again, we talk an awful about lament Psalms, you just pour it all out to God. But as I'm pouring it all out to God, I'm saying, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to think. I'm scared. I'm, you say it all to him. And in saying it all to him, you also say, thank you. For the problem? What are you, a masochist? Thank you because you are this incredible God who will work through this for your glory and for the good of your people. Do you believe that, folks? Now, if you're with us here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you may be thinking, that guy up there is like nuts. <laughs> I, I, I get that. What I can tell you is this. If you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, He changes everything changes everything we love him it is all about him call us nuts we love him we invite you to come know him to know him too but i pray about everything with thanksgiving because i know here's the beauty does the scripture promise that god will take my problem away oh at one level i wish it would but another level, I wish it wouldn't. Because God often is up to doing something much more powerful by changing you in the midst of that problem. So he says, you pray with intensity about this need, and as you're doing it, you do it to a God who is for you, so you can thank Him. And as you thank Him, you thank him because he may choose to ch change your circumstance. He may choose not to. But this is what he will do, verse 7. This is what he will do. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh man, do I need my heart and mind guard? Guarded. I mean, my, my heart, my desire, my thoughts, what I'm thinking, my emotions, where I'm going, man. Uh, and I, I, I need God to just kind of encircle that. And saying, Doug, I got it. Just rest. I remember with the death of a mother father and a sister deep deep pain and sorrow because of the loss and yet a sense of peace and rest that I could not explain haven't you had that experience at time in your life things come in and God God doesn't change it he changes us by saying I am here. It's okay. 
as a child, when I was afraid when we would go camping by the noises and the animals around us. The noises didn't end, but if my dad was there with me, I could sleep. You know? Hey, Dad, about the bear. Doug, don't you worry about the bear. Oh, but, but I thought I heard. Don't worry. Aren't there foxes out there? Could be. But what? Snakes? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thank you. I mean, we could go on and on here. I didn't even know, think about that one. That would have been all, maybe even worse, right? But, um, but, but you see what I'm saying? God so often doesn't change that. He's just with me in the midst of it. And, and in that scenario, I have peace. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? There is nothing in your life, nothing in your life as a Christian that is outside of the gospel and God impacting you for your good and his glory. Never. I don't care what your physical element is. I don't care relationally. I don't care situationally. It doesn't matter. I mean, it hurts deeply. I'm not minimizing any of that, folks. But God says you can either go the route of worry or you can pour out your soul to the God who is for you, knowing that he will meet you in your deepest pain and sorrow. Now, that's good stuff, isn't it, folks? You see, living a God-centered life changes everything. My relationships in the church, my relationships outside of the church, it changes me in the midst of my deepest, darkest problems. And Paul says, it will change how you prudently or wisely live life. Verses 8 and 9. Look at what he says. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. But let me read verse 9, then I'll explain them. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. I used to wonder about verse 8. I didn't quite understand what was going on there. And one of the things you'll find to be really interesting is virtually every one of those um, qualities mentioned in verse 8, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, are terms that you will see coming right out of the Greek philosophy of the first century. There was a lot of philosophers in the first century that would talk about living noble and pure and true. So it's almost like Paul is sitting back and just copying what some of these philosophers are saying. Like, hey, whatever's... And, and so when, the, when I first read this, I think like, Paul, what are you doing? Paul's doing something fascinating to me. You think about this. The Philippian church is feeling oppressed. You know what the tendency is if I'm feeling oppressed? is to reject everything in the world around me. Isn't that true? I live in Lancaster. 
We have a group there by the name of the Amish. Now, before I lived in Lancaster, and I would go out there, and I would see a buggy go by, I'd say, oh, look, there's an Amish buggy. Now that I live there, and sometimes like we go home on Sunday, I can pass 20 buggies till I get back to my house. I don't go, ooh, anymore. I go, ugh, I wish. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's just, it's just, perspective's quite different. But it is the entire community that has chosen isolation to the world around them. Is that what we do? We look at the world around us. We say, man, what, they're making so many crummy decisions. And it's true. I get it. I, like, I'm totally on board with all that. There's all kinds of weird, odd things that go on. Why would Paul list qualities that comes right out of the philosophy of the day and say, what I want you to do is I want you to analyze that stuff from the perspective of the word and anything that has quality, I want you to really consider it for your own life. You know what he's telling us? Our stance toward the world around us is not one of isolation like the Amish. Neither it is, is it one of assimilation where I just do what the world does. Hey, they feel this way on this topic. I guess I should do. No, 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 no. There's more than two options. Isolation, assimilation. There's a third option. Evaluation. And Paul says, what I want you to do Philippians, be very, very careful. You're feeling all this pressure. Don't look at the world around you and just reject everything. Evaluate it. And when you find something of quality that's consistent with the Scripture, think on those things. One of my big concerns with my children is that when they watch movies, when they listen to music or whatever the case may be, is that my children at least learn to evaluate what they're hearing and saying. You know, I, I come from a tra tradition growing up where there was the tendency of just writing everything off. That wasn't right either. Sometimes my kids will say, but dad, it's fun. Oh, I didn't know that that was a way to actually evaluate. If it's fun, do it. Young people here. The most important issue isn't whether it's fun. Paul says, evaluate. And those qualities which are consistent with what the Bible teaches us, embrace and learn from them. This summer, we're going to watch the Olympics. It, doesn't that amaze you what people can do with their bodies? When I'm watching these people on balance beams and gymnastics, and they're like, come on, come on. I'm like a dizzy watching. But one of the things I come away with there is I come away thinking to myself, Think Biner. If people who don't know Christ, well, some of them do, some of them don't, I, I don't know, but at least some of them don't, are willing to invest that much time and effort to do excellent work. Like, what's up with you, man? You know the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You should be giving your all to do it. Do everything with excellence. How much more? So Paul says, they do it for an earthly crown. We do it for an eternal crown. See what I'm doing? I'm enjoying the Olympics, but I'm all bringing it. I'm seeing it through the grid of Jesus to see what I can learn. I watch a movie. We watched uh, Jungle Book a week ago. Took my kids in Jungle Book. And, 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 and one of the things is I'm just saying, okay, okay. 
You know what I mean? Everything gets evaluated through Jesus. Because God in his common grace will often allow you to experience and see some of those wonderful qualities around you, don't you? And so we don't reject, we don't isolate, we don't assimilate, we evaluate. Paul says, what I want you to do in your life, any problem or difficulty, bring it to me. For God to be central, what I want you to do is not run from the world, put on the glasses of evaluation. And look at those qualities which are consistent with the gospel. And you can think on those things. You can learn from those things. You can do something with that. But you have to evaluate. But look what he says in verse 9. Not only evaluate, the things you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice. When it comes to the Bible, Paul says, Paul, Philippians, what you've heard me teach you, what you've seen me live out in my life, you don't need to evaluate that stuff. You just need to do it. Yeah, but I'm a little bit nervous, Paul, because you talk about Jesus is everything, and couldn't that have some ramifications at work for me? Mm-hmm. But the things you've heard from me and seen in me, just do it. The things in the world around, evaluate. The things in the Bible, apply. But I'm a little bit concerned. Apply. What if? Apply. Live it out. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I might be in a situation where I'm really uncomfortable, Lord, when I say something that I, that I know you want me to say, but I don't want to say. The God of peace shall be with you. But what if I lose something? The, 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 the God of peace will be with you. So go out, live this life. It changes relationships. It changes how you face difficulties. It changes how you see the world. It changes what you apply because he is everything. And Paul says, okay, that's enough. Six verses, pop, 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 pop. And he's going to move on to something else. Does any specific, concrete, face, person, or event come to your mind when you hear Paul's list? Will you take that back to him? And will you say, God, I want to live a God-centered life where Jesus is everything. So, Lord, change my relationships with blank. Help me with this difficulty over blank. Help me to learn to evaluate concerning blank. Help me to obey you regardless when you say blank. Fill in the blanks. And remember that the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father,
I would pray for anybody that would be with us here today who has never bowed the knee and trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They, they can't engage in what we're talking about if they don't know Jesus. Father, draw them to yourself. They may come to know the joy and the wonder of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And Father, for brothers and sisters in Christ that know you, Lord, challenge them through your spirit, but encourage them with that specific name, that specific event, that specific situation. Encourage them to know that you want to deal with that so that they might know the freedom and the joy and the wonder of living a life that's centered upon you. Father, do your good work. We desperately need it through your spirit. In Christ's name I pray, amen.